Hey, happy Easter. Thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke right at the very end here in, uh, in just a few minutes. But before we do, uh, again, thanks for tuning in, whether you're tuning in from uh, the Middle East, whether you're tuning in from uh, Waynesville, Brevard, Hendersonville, wherever you're tuning in from, thank you very much. Uh, before we jump in, let me just say a special word of thank you to just Biltmore Church. One of the things, church, you know that we end every service with is saying you are loved and you are sent. You're loved and you are sent. And one of the things we're trying to communicate and instill is the fact that, you know what, when we leave the facilities, then you know what, the church, the church has left the building. And you guys, over the last three or four weeks during this pandemic, uh, I've just seen stories, whether it be on Facebook or things that we collectively have done. Just thank you for being the church. There's thousands of stories out there about what you have, uh, about what you've done. Uh, collectively, uh, we're trying to do something about every week or two. You all have showed up big when it came to the food drive for our partners around Western North Carolina. Um, this past week, you played a big part. We had identified 400 families of servers that had been furloughed or let go and just supporting them with some Walmart gift card money and uh, the way you just did that. And next week, we'll be announcing another outreach to our community to try to bless some people and demonstrate the gospel. And it's, really, it's just because of you, all right? You have uh, bought into the gospel. You understand we both declare it and we demonstrate it. So thank you very much uh, for doing so. So, hey, if you're a Christ follower, uh, today is a party, right? Because this represents, Easter represents everything that is hopeful about our faith. I mean, because if the tomb is empty, all right, if the tomb is empty and the resurrection happened, it is game on for all things Christian, all right? If uh, the resurrection didn't happen, it is, it is game over and everything that we talk about or believe is actually a hoax. You know why? Because the central claim, let me just put the cards on the table, the central claim of Christianity is that a man who had been confirmed dead got up out of his grave by his own power, showed himself to over 500 people over 40 days in the town where he was killed and then he ascended back into heaven. All right, that would be, in our vernacular, it'd be like going to a funeral of a friend of yours on a Friday. You watch him get buried. You watch him get put in the ground. And then Monday when you're at, at Walmart, you run into him and you're like, what, what, what? That's, that's, that's amazing. And then you see how that impacted just the spread of the gospel. That's how 3,000 people come to Christ in the very first sermon that is preached. Why? Because they literally saw a dead man walking. And so that's what we celebrate at Easter. And by the way, if you're new to church or you're still kicking the tires of the Christian faith, man, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the journey with us today. I hope it'd be a blessing to you. And I just applaud you for, you know, just considering what we're going to talk about today. But again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be, again, looking at it, what we do here in, at our church as we read the text and we talk about it a little bit and we study it and then we try to go figure out how do we actually do what this says. If you don't have a Bible, uh, most of them are going to be on the screen. So before we jump into Luke chapter 24, let me just tell you what's going on. Uh, the context is that the last time most of these disciples saw Jesus, someone was taking his dead body off of the cross. A couple of the disciples, including some of the ladies, they were, they were starting to talk about, they had seen Jesus, they'd seen Jesus, but most of the disciples, they were like, that is nonsense, man. That is just idle talk, man. You are out of your mind. That is just, it can't, it can't be true. So all of that being the context, 
Go ahead and, and make sure you're in Luke chapter 24. I'm gonna walk through this, make a couple of comments, and then we're gonna try to pull out a couple of principles for today, all right? Verse 36. It says, and they were talking about these things. These things are the fact that some people were starting to talk about, hey, we've seen him, we've seen him, we've seen him. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you, which by the way is a super humorous deal because of all the things they were feeling at that point when they thought he was dead, they saw him die on a cross, they saw him buried, and then all of a sudden he shows up. I mean, that is like, I mean, I like to surprise people, right? I like to surprise people. I like to kind of scare them a little bit. And probably the best one I've done is Carl Settlin, uh, you know, our kind of our, I don't even know what his title is. He's had so many titles, but he's been here for 20 some odd years. And I had Ranger up here one time and it was the coolest thing. He was in the restroom, and I knew he was in the restroom and he scared a ranger, right? So give him a hard time about that. He's scared of my German shepherd. So I bring the German shepherd inside, sit him right beside where he's gonna come out of the restroom. And when that door opens, I go, I didn't say, relax. No, it's like, I was like, ah, or barked or something. And man, he had to go back in the restroom. Point being is peace to you is the last thing they were feeling. All right, next verse. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, which by the way, shows you also the contrary to what some people say, the disciples did not expect the resurrection. This is not something they were looking for. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes as well. But he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now this word doubts right here is important to understand. Because some of you are like, you got some doubts, all right? Doubts is actually where we get our word logic from. And they're thinking logically, how can, how can this be true? How can this actually be true? And so they're looking at not some spiritualized, when we talk about a resurrection of Jesus, we're not talking about some spiritualized metaphorical sense in that Jesus was raised from the dead, all right? We're not talking about how Jesus is with us like, you know, my great-great-grandmom is still with us. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an actual person who was actually killed, who actually got buried, who actually was raised physically, bodily from the dead and then ascended into heaven. Just so you know, that's what we're talking about. You're like, that's unbelievable. It was unbelievable back then as well. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Now, why would he say hands and feet? That's where the nail scars were. The gospel of John tells us that the scars from the crucifixion were still there. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He's just trying to still, and this is not a hallucination. This is, this is I, am, I am right there. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, what a great phrase. Disbelief for joy means like, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I just saw you dead. But they're moving towards saying, I don't believe it too. It's just too good to be true. And they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, which by the way, this is another little tidbit. It's like, if you're trying to paint some myth, you don't have a detail like this. And he took it and he ate it before them. A couple more verses. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you during the three and a half years. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the entire Old Testament, all right? That's the entire Old Testament. 
the whole Bible is about Jesus. This is just another example of this. The whole Bible's about Jesus, even the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about Jesus. It talks about Jesus, all right? It points toward Jesus. You ever see those, uh, what are they called, like auto stereograms, I think? They're those pictures that have those like billions of little dots in there. And then you look at it and you like tilt your head or you raise your foot or whatever deal and, and you look at it and all of a sudden the picture within the picture comes out there. My wife can always see these pictures in the picture. It takes me, it takes me way long. I usually give up and just make something up. I'm like, yeah, there's a deer, there's a rainbow, there's a pasture, there's a beautiful barn. But man, my wife can see it immediately. That's in some ways what the Old Testament is like. It's like, listen, there's all these pictures in shadow or in symbol. It's always talking about, guess what? There's a deliverer coming. We talked about it last week. There's a deliverer coming. There's somebody coming. There's a rescuer coming. He's the greater Moses, all right? He's the lamb of the Passover, right? He's the one that when Job uh, said, I know that my redeemer lives, that's talking about Jesus, all right? When the psalmist says, he hides your tears in a bottle, that's Jesus. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That had to be a pretty cool Bible study. And said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then last verse, you are witnesses of these things. Now we're gonna come back to that, but I wanna try to drive kind of two points uh, home today, all right? They're hopefully complimentary, and it's talking about how do we respond to the resurrection. And the first one is this, is we have to just examine, just examine the evidence. Just examine the evidence. Contrary, again, to popular opinion, Christianity is not a blind faith. Christianity is not one of those things that's like, check your intellect at the door. Contrary to popular belief, the disciples are not some dumb, ignorant rubes who just believed anything that was thrown their way. Verse 38 says, why do you have doubts arise in your hearts? Well, of course, why do they have it? Well, number one is because you know what? Dead people don't come out of the grave. It was just as unbelievable back then, 2000 years ago, as it is today. But even a more contextualized part is the fact that the Jews were not looking for some crucified, humiliated, shamed, resurrected Messiah. They were looking for a conquering Messiah. They were looking for their rescuer, their deliverer to come in, kick the oppressive Roman army out. And as a matter of fact, when, when he died that Friday, when he died that Friday in shame on the cross, the disciples were disappointed, uh, they were confused, and they were even doubtful. As a matter of fact, if you've got some, maybe you've got some doubts, uh, you have the potential to be a great disciple. Because you can look throughout the Bible, not just all the disciples, but you can look throughout the Bible and see people who really struggled with doubt ended up being great disciples. We could spend 10 minutes on this, but let me give you a handful. All right, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, all right? He is, in, he is in prison and Jesus called him the greatest prophet ever to live. But he got confused because the kingdom of God that Jesus promised wasn't coming as quick as John thought the kingdom should come. And while he's in prison, John sends some of his disciples to Jesus to say, listen, are you the one? Because I've like pushed all my cars to the center of the table and I gotta know, are you the one? Are, that's, like, that's like the greatest preacher. Um, Job, Job, whose book in the Old Testament is by his name, is basically 37 
chapters of questioning God. Why? Why would you let this happen? Why is this pain here? Probably the, you know, probably the, 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 the coolest one would be at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is just, you know, he's resurrected from the grave. He has commissioned the disciples. He's ascending into heaven. He's literally ascending into heaven right in front of them. And verse 17 of Matthew 28 says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, comma, but some doubted. He's ascending into heaven right in front of them. And some are like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen the David Blaine special. I'm, maybe there's some ropes and some tricks that I don't see. So just understand, maybe your doubts aren't about some Roman oppression, all right? Maybe your doubts are very, very different. Maybe your doubts are about, you know, why is there so much pain in the world? I mean, where is God in thousands of people dying of some unseen virus? You're like, where is that? Or maybe it's been there for a long time. Maybe it's just the Bible's teaching on different subjects. Maybe it's the Bible's teaching on sex or the Bible's teaching on hell or other, you know, some difficult teachings. You're like, I just don't, I don't know if I believe that. Or maybe you've just seen some Christians who are hypocritical. It's like, man, they go to your church. Like, yeah, they go to your church and they're not, they're not acting what they say they believe. Here's what I would just challenge you. First of all, there are answers to those questions. I'm not trying to blow those questions off. There are answers to those questions and we talk about them every weekend here. But are you willing to say the questions I have while they are difficult, but if Jesus was actually raised from the dead, I can believe that there is an answer. I might not know the answer, but if Jesus actually came up out of that grave, if he actually beat death, then I can have confidence that there actually is an answer. Because when you look in the story here, what you see is the disciples, they believed not because every question of theirs got answered. Nowhere in here does it say, here's the deal with the Romans or here's what I'm gonna do. It doesn't say that. The disciples believed not because they got all their questions answered. The disciples believed because Jesus had been raised from the dead. And you gotta understand, that's the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is not faith. The foundation of our faith is an event. If you need a little proof of that, just read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, the history of the early church, and what you'll see is what they were talking about for at least the first four chapters was not specific doctrines or explicit beliefs. It was about an event. It was about the fact that Jesus conquered death. It's a sermon. It's like, you killed him, you put him in the grave, but he came back and he is the conquering hero. So you're like, well, why should I believe in the resurrection? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to I'm gonna just fly by about three of them, just a few of them, because what's gonna happen, what always happens around Easter, especially now that we're spending hours on the screen, looking at the screens, is there's invariably news shows, news programs, news magazines, these kind of things, and they come up with all these reasons why Jesus literally, I mean, he couldn't have literally physically come up out of the grave. And so let me just touch base on some of them. There's more, there's longer answers, there's better answers. Man, go read some Lee Strobel book and he'll go to much more detail. All right, but let me give you a few just to, just to hang on to. First one will be this. It's just, it's the fact of the empty tomb. The empty tomb, the fact of the empty tomb. I mean, the easiest way for Jesus's enemies to like stop Christianity in its tracks would have been just to deliver the body. It's like, you guys are going around town talking about he rose from the dead and they could just have dragged his body out there and said, look, here's his body. He didn't rise from the dead. He's not alive. Here he is. 
And they could have done that. The, the enemies, they controlled politics, they controlled the media, they controlled the property, they controlled all that stuff and they didn't. Some people sort of take a segue and they say, well, the disciples stole the body. Now that, that is, that's crazy, all right? Have you read the disciples? Have you read the description of the disciples? All right? Jesus did not train some ninjas, all right? He didn't train SEAL Team 6. He trained a bunch of fishermen, all right? Tax collectors. Half the time they're, they're clueless, all right? Other people, had one that kind of has stayed around remarkably long is called the swoon theory. And here's basically what the swoon theory says. And I'm not trying to mock it, but it's, it deserves some degree of mocking because here's what the swoon theory says. The swoon theory basically says when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't really die. What happened was after all the floggings, all the beatings, all the crown of thorns, nails in his hands, spear in his side, after all that, they take him down, but they made a mistake because he really wasn't dead. He was, just, he was just unconscious. And then when we put him in the tomb, the moisture of the tomb, the coolness of the tomb resuscitated Jesus. And then Jesus gets up, gets resuscitated, gets up, takes the grave clothes off of him, somehow in his weakened state, pushes aside a one-ton boulder, either sneaks away or beats up the Roman guard, then jogs seven miles back to Emmaus and then shows the disciples, I'm actually the reigning king of heaven and earth. I mean, does that even sound, that takes more faith to believe than any of these other things, the fact that Jesus just rose from the grave. I mean, so many reasons and things you could poke holes into. Uh, first of all, there's no way the disciples, he comes dragging in there just looking like he's about to die. There's no way the disciples are thinking, man, you just conquered death. And also realize that the Romans were experts at, they were experts at death. That's why you see when they put that spear in his side, why? Because they knew how to make sure somebody was dead. If they took somebody off the cross that wasn't dead or they failed in their job, guess what? It's game over for them. So uh, second one, empty tomb, uh, eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts, 500 or so people, 500 or so people, some by name, they actually named the people, some still alive, said, if you don't believe us, I mean, they could have gone and asked them and said, hey, this is what they're saying. And some of those people were still alive. Example, one of the earlier books was a book called First Corinthians. It was written somewhere about 20 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in First Corinthians, he actually named some names. I mean, listen, and it's only been 20 years, and so it's too early for some crazy story. I mean, what, 21 years ago, 20 years ago, Dale Earnhardt dies. Dale Earnhardt Sr. dies, all right? It is way too soon for some crazy theories to come out about the way he died. You know why? Because there are people still alive that saw the way Dale Earnhardt Sr. died, and if you were to kind of have some whacked-out theory over here, they'd say, no, you know what? I was there. I saw it. I saw the funeral, and so... Eyewitness accounts, including the fact that they just got changed. The transformation of the disciples, to me, growing up in a home that didn't go to church very often, that to me was so compelling. Because when you see at the cross, when they actually see Jesus die, they quit. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but all the disciples, they quit. When they think Jesus, when Jesus said, it is finished, they actually think it is finished. Like, game over for our mission. Like all that we've poured our life into for the last three and a half year, years is, is done. And then you just fast forward a little bit, you fast forward post-resurrection, man, these guys are so bold. 
I mean, they're preaching. You can look in the book of Acts one time, they're preaching to the, a group called the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin were a bunch of very imposing, educated people. And it's like, and they're like, shut up, shut up, shut up. That's what the Sanhedrin's telling them. And the disciples are like, man, we just got to say what we've both seen and heard. We cannot help but to speak of what we've seen and heard. And to paraphrase it, they basically like this, like, we respect you guys. You Sanhedrin, you got a lot of degrees. Your IQ is higher. You got a bunch of stuff going for you. You're more educated than we are. But bottom line is this, we saw some guy go into a tomb and then he rose from the grave. And so if we have to pick between somebody who has a bunch of degrees on the wall and somebody who came up out of the grave, we're going with the guy that just came up out of the grave. And so they were changed, dramatically changed. They, they even backed it up by martyrdom. They got martyred. All, John, all but John got martyred and they tried to martyr John. They couldn't, they ended up sticking him on an island. Peter, Peter uh, got crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his savior was crucified. Here's one that'll just blow your socks off, James. James in the Bible, the James I'm talking about, he's the half brother of Jesus. They throw James off a roof just breaks his legs, he doesn't die. They go down to him and they say, hey, if you'll recant, we'll let you live. And he's like, I can't recant. So they kill him with a stick. James is the half brother of Jesus. The half brother of Jesus. Some of you all out there, you've got, a, you've got an older brother, all right? What would it take for you to think that your older brother was God incarnate? I mean, you might be going, well, I can believe Satan incarnate, but not God incarnate, exactly. And yet James went to his death knowing that, you know what, he was, the, he was the son of God. And then you can just go down through church history, early church history in particular, when you look at it, that something happened. Cowardly people, cowardly people became brave. Skeptical, skeptical people came to believe. Moms held their children as they were fed to the lions. All of that stuff, why? Because not just something they believed, but something that they actually saw. And then this last one here, just jot down, and that is fulfilled prophecy. There's actually 300 fulfilled prophecies when Jesus came. 300, not talking about little general ones, we're talking about 300 specific ones, like where he was born and how he would die. And you've got some that he talked about, obviously he talked about it all the time, but even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, our iniquity was laid on him. Micah says that he would be born in Bethlehem, all these things. But if you have time sometime today, look at Psalm 22. I've been thinking about this Psalm for like two weeks now. Psalm 22 is what's called a messianic song. And in Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before Jesus, a thousand years, check out a couple of these verses. Verse one, Psalm 22, thousand years before Jesus. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're like, no, that's what Jesus said on the cross, exactly. That's verse one of Psalm 22, Old Testament. Verse seven, all who see me mock me. Remember what's going on right around the cross? A lot of times we think the cross was kind of way out on this epic hill and everybody was looking up in awe. It's like, no, it was right outside the city gates where people could come by and spit and mock and make fun of the people who were crucified. And in verse 16, listen to this. Verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Loved one, this is 500 years before the Persians even invented crucifixion. 
And then the Romans subsequently just perfected it that hadn't even been invented. And it's like, they pierced my hands and my feet. All right. They're like, well, who, am I, who are you to believe? I'm, I agree. I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of like a semi-redneck from, went to Texas Tech. Let me show you a guy that's got a little better degrees. This guy's named Dr. Thomas Arnold, professor of modern history at Oxford. Tons of different people I could put up here. Here's one. Just listen to quote. Don't try to write it down. You can look it up if you want to. The evidence for Jesus's life, death, and resurrection has been shown to be satisfactory according to the standards of any historian. That's what he is. He's a historian and they have different metrics they put it through. Tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as any judge reviewing the most important case. Now listen to what he says. I know of no other one fact in history which is proved by better and fuller evidence than this one. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. All right, that's not some preacher in Western North Carolina. That's an Oxford historian saying, listen, we just kind of look at the evidence and you can't get away from it. And then what happens is they see the disciples see love at the cross and victory in the resurrection, something so profound they give their whole life to. Let me just kind of, give you one last thought to end with that you see at the end of the text. And it's this, it's not just about, you got to, you know, examine the evidence, but it gives you the fact that, you know what? I have a purpose. I got a purpose that I need to actually pursue. Now, verse 48, verse 48 uh, talks about you are witnesses of these things. And I, I got I just kind of got to confess. The first thing I think of is not this verse. When I read the verse, the first thing I thought about was this. That's what I thought about. I thought about a Nike ad campaign years ago when LeBron James was just starting off and their campaign, which is 100% plagiarism here. We are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. What they were saying was, is that this young player who ironically was gonna be called King James, hands spread out, we are all witnesses. What they're saying is, you don't have to just read about King James. You don't have to just listen about King James. We get to be witnesses of the exploits of King James. Listen, I'm not making fun of this necessarily. I mean, although it is ironic that he's not even the best basketball player that ever lived, maybe top five, all right? Definitely not. Don't email me either because there's a guy from North Carolina that was six verse three. If you don't know what that means, just six rings, three rings. All I'm saying is this. What they're trying to say is, you're gonna experience something. And what this is saying is what the disciples had was something experiential. They had a personal experience with a risen Christ. And so they leave at the end of the chapter and then they live with just this unmistakable joy. And that's what kind of every, everybody's trying to go after the unmistakable joy. Well, how do I get that joy? And they had this joy. And here's a couple of things that came to, you know, why did they have this kind of joy? Why do they have it? Number one is they knew at that point their condemnation was gone. Condemnation is gone. Condemnation is gone. Some of you are like, man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I've messed up my marriage. I messed up my, my life. My family's gone. My ethics are gone, whatever. Romans 8, 1 says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, all that is left for you is condemnation. But what the gospel is, the gospel is Jesus took our condemnation. And if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation left for you. 
Now, a lot of people get only part of that right. They think, well, you know what? I, I've had my sins forgiven, and that is amazing, and that is epic in and of itself. But the gospel is not just that your sins are forgiven. It's the fact that Jesus's righteousness is then put to your account. You get his status. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what that means? That means that not only did Jesus take your sin on himself, but then it took Jesus's perfection, all that Jesus had on his resume, and he put it to your account. In other words, if you're in Christ, you get the same status that Jesus had in about a obviously a fraction of a way, three, four, five weeks ago, I took a trip uh, with one of our church members and he's one of those quadrillion mile Delta guys, all right? I mean, they know his name, all that stuff. And what was amazing was because I was with him and he booked the tickets, all the privileges that he got, I got. His status became my status. I mean, it was just awesome. Instead of going back to 32B, I got to go to 2B. Instead of trying to hunt around for a corn dog in the Atlanta airport, I got to go to like the Delta Sky Lounge and eat shrimp. Why? Not because I had the status, but because I was with someone who had the status. I was connected with him the same way. If you're in Christ, his resume, his righteousness has been put to your account. So these guys could say, you know what? My condemnation is gone. I mean, so much other stuff is not gonna have the last word. Things like injustice, like what about all the injustice in the world? The fact that he beat the tomb, the fact that he came up out of the grave means, you know what? There's a day when all these things are gonna be made right. Justice is gonna be 100% complete. Justice will roll like a river. You got justice, you got condemnation. You got, again, some of you are just in despair right now. You're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what can make a difference. And I'm just kind of tuning in because, you know, it's Easter and I felt like I should have. And you were the first place that came up on my Facebook. Listen, what it says is, again, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've gone, if as it's been said a hundred times, if, if you're not dead, if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. Or another way to put it is if the tomb is empty, anything is possible, all right? And this needs to be the, Easter can be that fresh start for your life. It can be that time, you know what? I was sitting there during this COVID deal and sitting at home and I was getting sick of watching stuff and I flipped on and some redneck preacher was talking about that. And that day God reached into my heart and everything changed right then. And honestly, that, that's the whole thing that's making Christianity different. Every other worldview says you do some stuff. Stuff varies depending on the worldview. You do some stuff, you do some stuff, and then God will accept you. And Christianity and the gospel is not about the stuff you do. Christianity is about the stuff God did. It's the stuff Jesus did on the cross and then rose from the grave. And then when you and I are in Christ and we repent and embrace him, guess what? I mean, we're accepted because of what he did, and then we live a life in response to that. And so, uh, again, I don't, I'm not sure where you are, but the question you just gotta know is, you gotta be able to answer the question, if I had a personal experience with this risen Christ, if I had a personal experience with Jesus. Now I know, depending on where you're watching from, 
there can be a lot of what's called cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is you've kind of been around church for a while and you can kind of answer the questions and you can know a lot about Jesus. And you can, you know, well, yeah, he fed 5,000 and he like, you know, he, he took care of the children and he fed poor people and died. You, you know that that's not really the question because we live in a society now where you can know a lot of stuff about somebody and have never met them. I mean, even on social media, and I'm, I love social media, and there's a lot of good stuff, but the thing about social media is you can feel like you know somebody when you've never met them. You can follow somebody, some celebrity, and you're like, you know what, I know their spouse, I, I know what they like to eat, I know what they like to drink, I know where they like to go on vacation, I know what his politics are, and the whole time you've actually never met him. And so please, just on this Easter, let's just drill down enough to say, you know what, have I, have I, have I ever had a personal experience with Jesus? Because if you're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, you can know, you can know. And you can have one right now. You can have one right now. You don't have to be in church, sitting there on your couch with your eyes open. You're like, I want to know that resurrected Christ. All you just, just tell him in your heart. You can close your eyes if you want to. You can say it out loud if you want to, or you can say it in your heart. But just, Jesus, I believe that what you did on that cross somehow counted for me. That was my sin that you paid for on that tree. I believe in the resurrection. You are Lord, you are in charge, and I want to receive that free gift of grace. But just tell him in your own words. It can be, you know what, that Easter, Easter, Everything changed. Everything changed. A personal experience with him. But you're like, and I'll tell you what to do here in a few minutes. If like, that's me today. That's me today. I'm going to tell you what to do in a minute. Before we close, it's not just, it's not just Jesus loves me and I came to Jesus, period. That's not the end of story. That's not the end of this story. It says, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses doesn't mean you've got to go down to the drum circle and preach the end is near and all that. That's not what it means. It says you will be, you will be, it means you've got purpose and your purpose revolves around, it revolves around the gospel and the glory of God and the good of other people. And until that is there, we all have this propensity to try to find purpose in a bunch of good stuff, but it's not God's stuff, all right? It's good stuff and it's good stuff, but when we make it ultimate stuff, it ends up being usually destructive stuff. We're like, kind of like the, I mean, back when my kids were small, I don't even know if he's around anymore. There's this T-Rex named Barney, all right? And Barney was like, guess what we think T-Rexes are? And they got these little arms and you can't reach anything, all right? You can't reach anything. And that's the way we often are, even believers. We're like, if I can just get this promotion and if I can just get this spouse and if I can just get these abs and if I can just get this promotion, if I can just get this house, then I'm really gonna be satisfied. And that's what it's all about. And we know that it's, it's just like, it's just like drinking salt water. We know it. We've chased them and it would come up empty. So let me just tell you what the early church was. Here's basically, when you see the joy in these people that had a fraction of the stuff we have, here's basically what you see in the early church. The early church was a movement. It was a movement that was based on a conviction. It was a movement that was based on a conviction that Jesus has died as the only savior for sinners and that he had risen from the dead, proving he was who he said he was and that he was the rightful Lord over all of heaven and all of earth. And he is now commanding all people everywhere to repent and trust in him. And so what you and I would do is this, we, we could put it this way. It was a movement that basically says, he says, I want you to love God and I want you to love people. 
And if we're not loving God and we're not loving people, you have to ask the question, am I really part of that movement? Because movements, by definition, they move. Followers, by definition, they follow. And so when it comes to, I'm gonna love God, it means that, you know what, I've been saved by the grace of God. I wanna live for the glory of God. I want the gospel to go to the nations. That's your burden. That's not the only thing you do in life, but all you do in life is kind of filtered through that. So whether it's, supporting a child or development centers in Ecuador, or whether it be getting, using all that God has given you to leverage for the gospel, it's loving God and then it's loving people. How do I leverage my time, my job, my family, my influence, my resources for uh, the mission of God? Because here it is, it's not just Jesus loves me, it's Jesus loves me, comma, and wants to show his love to other people through me. That's it, that's it. So. Easter prayers would kind of be this. Uh, first of all, man, I know that you know that you know. You know what? I have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. I'm not talking about perfection, not talking about no trials, but there's been definitely a change of direction. I was going this way. I encountered Jesus Christ and I went the other way, which by the way, you're like, man, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. As a matter of fact, I've still got a lot of questions. Ask the questions. God will go to great lengths to show himself to an honest doubter. An honest doubter says, it's like the man in the scripture says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. That's an honest doubter, all right? A dishonest doubter says, I don't care what facts and what evidence you show me, I'm not gonna believe. But an honest doubter, you can go throughout the Bible, including the famous doubting Thomas. And he's like, man, I gotta see some evidence. And that is what Jesus showed him. But, He's like, man, this, this is like, this is the high day. This is the holy day. This is Easter. We're partying in our house, Pastor Bruce. Then here I want to give you a challenge. And the challenge is in the form of what I'm just going to call an everyday, an everyday Easter prayer. All right. And the reason is, is Easter is awesome. But really for the Christian, every single day is a holy day. Every day should be resurrection day. All right. So think about this for everyday Easter prayer. Very simple. And uh, then I'm going to pray. Okay, everyday Easter prayer. Dear God. Thank you for the victory of the empty tomb. The tomb's empty, man. The tomb is empty. Fill me today with resurrection power. Resurrection power. It's the power that changes people's lives. To live for the glory of God. God, would you help me to revolve my life around, I'm here for the glory of God. How do I make his name famous for the 20, 30, 10, 5, 50 years I've got left? for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Every single person that you see, every person, family, stranger, even adversary, every single person you see, God loves, God is offering salvation to. So he says, you know what? I wanna love them through you. So through the power of the resurrection to live for the glory of God and for the good of others, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, before I pray, Please do me one favor if you gave your life to Christ. If you gave your life to Christ today, I don't, there's no way we can do it in person right now. So if you would do us the favor, just text the word follow. Follow, that's what you're saying I'm doing. I wanna follow Jesus. Just text the word follow to 28282 and what will happen is somebody will contact you this week. Let's get you started just the right way. And you're like, well, I don't really wanna text. You can comment in the section below. If you know of somebody, let us know. We'd love to help out, all right? Thanks for joining us. Let me pray for you. And then we're almost done. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for the empty tomb. Thank you for the fact that 
Despair does not have the last word. Condemnation does not have the last word. Discouragement does not have the last word. Addiction does not have the last word. You have the last word. Gotta pray for folks today that say, you know what, today's the day I drove a stake down and gave my life to Christ. God, help put some people around them. Help us get in contact with them this week. Get them on that great start of a joy-filled, purposeful, impactful life for the Lord. God, I pray for those that are still kicking the tires of the faith that they would dig in and get their questions answered. And if we can help them, man, so be it. Let it happen. God, for the believers that we can sit there and celebrate today, help today be a day of victory, a day of recommitment, a day of celebration, a day of rejoicing. Even in the midst of our pain, you've shown us with the cross and the resurrection, even in the midst of our pain, there's both purpose and joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.